Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program of information on the ever-changing world of accessibility. Now here are the hosts of this program, Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. Hello, I'm Nancy. And I'm Pete. Well, we've finally gotten used to listening to people talk to their smartphones and devices like Alexa, but we understand from the guests we're going to interview today that people are starting to speak to their appliances at home. We'll speak with Eric Manser, who attended the world's largest consumer technology convention, known as CES, and while there, he helped represent IBM's Accessible Ali exhibit and toured some of the other exhibits, and he will be talking with us about his experiences at CES and about how numerous mainstream commercial products are becoming ever more accessible. But first for our tip of the week. We start every episode with a tip of the week, and this usually comes out of the conversation, but this conversation is based on Eric's Facebook posts from his visit to CES recently, and one of his posts included a picture of Max, whoever he is, wearing a shirt that says, do what you can't. Yeah, absolutely. It was interesting. In my ability to to get around and explore CES a little bit uh, there primarily as an exhibitor, but when I was able to go around and check out some of the vendors, it was really something to come across this Samsung exhibit, giving huge props to Samsung, where they had Max out front kind of telling passersby about what they were showing. And the fact that he was wearing a shirt that right on the shirt in big, bold text said, do what you can't. And I was so blown away by that. I had to grab a picture of that shirt because, I mean, in my mind, that is such a, a great statement and really captures the essence of technology. And what, what we should be striving for in technology is to empower people and to let people be able to do things that they normally couldn't. Support for Eyes on Success is made possible by... The Hadley Institute for the Blind and Visually Impaired, offering the 2018 New Venture Business Competition to help blind entrepreneurs turn their ideas into actual startups. More information and submission criteria is at www.hadley.edu slash NVC. And by eSight electronic glasses that help the legally blind see, be mobile, and engage in activities of daily living. More information about eSight can be found online at www.everyonedeservestosee.com. Let's start by meeting Eric and learning about his role at IBM and some of his other achievements outside of work. So, Eric, you've been with us several other times on Eyes on Success, but maybe you can reintroduce yourself and acquaint our listeners that are new what you do. Absolutely. Thank you both for having me again. It's a, it's a pleasure every time I'm able to be on your podcast. My name is Eric Manser. I live just outside of Boston, and I am currently working at IBM. Uh, I'm part of their research team focused on accessibility, and really our mission is accessibility enablement. And as a team, we really 
put in a very dedicated effort to just making sure that we have the most up-to-date and current information and tools and make those resources available so that accessibility just becomes part of the culture and just is, really. It must be really gratifying to be part of that team. When I joined at IBM, for a long time, I personally, as someone losing my own eyesight, like I had come to almost identify accessibility as being something that was critical for people with disabilities. You know, accessibility is something that matters to everyone. You know, at some point in everyone's life, we'll all experience some level of impairment. I mean, they, they say disability is, you know, the one minority group that we'll all be a part of at some point. And so accessible design is really just good design that matters to everyone. And so it's, it's really exciting to be part of the, uh, the team that focuses on that here at IBM. Now, we've had you on the show talking about some of the accessibility work that you do with IBM, but the other episodes we've had you on had you uh, running marathons, once with a celebrity guide, Peter Sagal, and once with a remote guide a thousand miles away using the IRA technology. I understand that since the last time you were on the show, you set a world record for a blind athlete completing a triathlon? Yeah, it's still sinking in, to be honest. And that was back in October. So it was it was very thrilling. And actually, I have the distinction of, you know, very proudly have the distinction of being someone who both times that I've done a full Ironman triathlon, which is a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride and a full marathon, 26.2 miles. I've only done it twice. And each time that I've done it, I just happened to perform well enough to surpass what was the then fastest known uh, time by a visually impaired competitor. And so, you know, the first time I did it in 2015, and then in 2016, I actually didn't do a full Ironman, but there were three very talented visually impaired athletes around the world, you know, one in Australia, one in Canada, and one in the UK, who all beat my time. Uh, So I, I came back in October of 2017 trying to reclaim the world record, and I knew it was a, an ambitious goal. Taking the, uh, the record back meant shaving about 25 minutes off of my previous time, so uh, it was kind of ambitious. So I, I was a little bit skeptical, but also eager to try, and, and so thankfully, uh, racing with a good friend of mine, Matt Smith, out of Denver, Colorado, we, uh, we were able to perform well enough and had you know just everything came together on race day, and we were able to, to make it happen, so it was very, very thrilling. Well, congratulations. Thank you. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. This week's focus topic is Eric's experiences at CES, what he exhibited and what else he saw. So today we wanted to talk to you about your experiences participating in CES, the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, that is such a huge affair. And before we talk about what you were displaying there and what you saw there, maybe give people an overview of what CES is and what a big deal it is. Yeah, absolutely. And to be honest with you, I, I had not the entire sense of how big a deal it was before I went. It was my first time at CES. CES is the Consumer Electronics Show. It's an annual, and I believe the largest technology showcase uh, in a conference setting, you know, in the world, as I understand it. And so, again, very thrilled for the opportunity to go and attend this thing. 
Yeah, I actually looked at their website and checked out the attendance, and it was over 180,000 people, plus all the exhibitors. It was huge. Absolutely. I mean, it's astonishing to be there. And again, there's so much. It can be overwhelming because, (laughs) you know, someone who is kind of a techie and wants to be able to check out as much of the stuff as possible. It's it's almost like being a a kid on Christmas. It's like you want to try and hit everything and and only so many hours in the day. So (laughs) Uh, and again, I've been to many conferences and conventions and it was really a, a new experience. It, you know, nothing I've been to previously can compare. So it was it was something to be there. Tell us about the exhibit that you were hosting for IBM at CES. Sure. Actually, a year before, in uh, January of 2017, IBM at CES announced a partnership with Local Motors, which is a younger company out of Arizona, who 3D prints vehicles. And so between IBM and Local Motors and also in the partnership with CTA Foundation, which is the organization that puts on CES. So those three organizations agreed at CES in 2017 to team up on one vehicle in particular that Local Motors produces. And that vehicle is called OLLI, O-L-L-I. What is OLLI? It's a 12-person shuttle van. It's 3D printed. It's electric, it's self-driving, and it's cognitive in that it already has Watson capabilities from IBM embedded and built right into the vehicle itself. And what did this consortium do with the Ollie platform? We set out on a mission to make Ollie the most accessible self-driving vehicle that there is, and it was a very lofty goal, I guess. I was actually very involved from the IBM standpoint in trying to pull together groups of people that have you know, good and bad experiences with public transportation and getting direct feedback from actual users of these types of vehicles on what works well and what doesn't work well. And so over the course of last spring, we hosted a series of workshops where we had people, you know, from the aging population, you know, elders. And we also had here in the Boston area, I personally hosted a workshop with blind and visually impaired participants. And, you know, we also had uh, a group with with deaf and, and hard of hearing participants. And so, you know, actually involving people with impairments or challenges in the discussion to get firsthand feedback on, on what their experiences have been and, and how they might be improved. That sounds like a pretty ambitious goal. What were they actually able to show at CES? Because we were indoors, you know, the Ollie bus, I mean, was there, but wasn't driving around. But it was positioned at the point where the pickup would take place for a bus stop. So it was really a demonstration of, you know, what a bus stop simulation would look like. And we set it up basically as a walking tour so that anyone who stopped by to visit our booth would start, you know, at one section, and, and as it happened, that was me. I was kind of there introducing the four personas that we had come up with, and, and so four examples of potential Ollie riders, and I would kind of describe them, and I happened, you know, very proudly and humbly <laughs> to be one of those personas, uh, so I was there myself representing blindness or visual impairment, and then we also had a colleague of mine, Brent, who is deaf, 
Grace, who experiences cognitive impairments, so challenges with things like memory and language. And then we also had Catherine as someone who uses a wheelchair. And so I would be at the very beginning of the exhibit here, introducing people to those four personas and, and kind of, you know, getting them on their way. And then from that point, they would move through our exhibit to the next stop where they had the opportunity to choose one of those personas that they'd like to go through the rest of the exhibit as. Once they got up to the bus stop, you know, we had flat screens, you know, under the covered bus stop. And the experience would adjust accordingly. So, you know, it could present either audible feedback or high contrast feedback. If it were the Brent persona that they were using, a uh, avatar would appear on the screen using sign language. Uh, so, again, I mean, by the time they got to the actual shuttle itself, that's where they really started. You know, once on board the shuttle, they started to see a lot of these younger tech companies that were being put to use in the uh, solutioning that we did. You talked about wandering around the show to see what was going on at some of these other booths when you weren't actually staffing the IBM booth with a white cane, with a severe visual impairment. What did CES as an organization do to make that a more successful experience for you? Well, I was blown away because when I first got there, it was hard not to feel a little bit intimidated by the crowd size. And, you know, navigating just solid mass of people uh, using the white cane felt a little daunting. But I was very pleased to realize that just above from where our booth was, CES had an established accessibility services booth. And making that connection with their accessibility services early in the week was such a huge enhancement to my overall experience. You know, I had such wonderful help from, you know, Damien, Soul, and Katie of the accessibility services booth at CES. It was amazing. I mean, you know, they were on hand at the ready. They gave me their text number if I needed to step away from the booth, like they were willing to come and help me however I might need. On uh, a huge credit, you know, to not only to them, but to CES for making that arrangement at a show that, again, isn't necessarily targeted at specifically the disabled audience. It sounds like you were working pretty hard at CES on the IBM exhibit, but you did get some time to wander around and see some of the commercial new devices that people were proposing. And one of your comments in talking with you earlier was that you were impressed at how accessible some of these technologies were, even though they weren't officially designed to be accessible. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it was really interesting and possibly a different perspective on the show because it was encouraging and surprising to realize that as I was touring, a lot of these exhibitors were just demonstrating their mainstream products, their regular offerings, and had included features that were extremely helpful and could be very beneficial to people with disabilities. And I was so encouraged to realize that. And a lot of it has to do with kind of the voice assistance and following in line with the smart home concept. I mean, many of the appliances are now going to be voice enabled. And, you know, it was so interesting to me because, you know, I'm in charge of laundry at our house and I've got our appliances, our washer and dryers all marked up with dots and tactile stickers that allow you to tell which way the knob is pointing. <laughs> yeah, it sounds just like our washer and dryer. 
dots all over the place and no speech in or out. Absolutely. So I guess the maturity of these speech recognition and voicing systems have really been integrated into some of these newer products and have made a big difference in terms of accessibility. And the natural language, like the ability to speak informally, and you don't have to be robotic in your tone. You can just speak naturally, and it'll adapt and understand what you're asking for. And I mean, in that particular case, it was, you know, again, giving credit, it was LG's exhibit that I was at. And, you know, they have this uh, Think, uh, T-H-I-N-Q, washer and dryer that basically, I mean, the control module on the machine itself is flat, you know, kind of like my iPhone screen. But, you know, so there's not really anything tactile. But the fact that you can simply say, hi, LG, I need to do a normal load. And it will come back and say, okay, setting normal wash cycle. And so that's just for an everyday load. But if you have something, you know, I've got grass stains and I, you know, I need to do a heavy duty load or I'm washing our comforter, just give it these commands and it'll, you know, adapt and understand and and be able to comply. So, I mean, it was really exciting to see. And what did the LG exhibitors themselves have to say about accessibility? The one thing that struck me is as I was talking to the gentleman that was presenting these appliances and, you know, obviously I'm standing there with a white cane and he can tell that I'm visually impaired. And I was expressing to him how exciting that the fact that these appliances are going to be voice enabled was from my perspective. It seemed surprising to him. You know, it wasn't something that anyone had told him to go there and really tout, (laughs) you know. So, I mean, the fact He was pleased, but he seemed genuinely surprised that it was something that I I found truly exciting. Yeah, so it's interesting. They're not just doing this for the visually impaired community or other disabilities, that they're just including these kind of neat tools just because they can, and it makes life easier for everybody. Absolutely right. I think I posted something to the effect of they don't realize they're doing these kind of nice to haves conveniences that are, you know, really convenient for the mainstream. But literally for some, I mean, they take something that wasn't easily doable or even in some cases not possible and making it possible for some that can uniquely benefit from these kinds of innovations. So it was really exciting. That's the talking washer and dryer. What were some of the other cool things you saw? Yeah, I was uh, also very impressed. And again, I'll give credit where credit is due, as I said uh, throughout this. But, you know, I also stopped by Samsung and, and, you know, Samsung, like IBM, had multiple presences at the show. But the booth that I happened to catch was basically their smart home exhibit where they have Bixby as their voice assistant. I hadn't been familiar with Bixby, but one thing that was particularly cool about their smart home exhibit was their refrigerator. The thing that really impressed me about that was it can analyze its own contents and give audible feedback on things that may be expired or expiring. So, you know, as an example, if I have my milk or my orange juice that has the sell-by date on the carton, then this refrigerator has the ability to keep me apprised of that information, which is very valuable because it can be very challenging to be able to make out those printed expiration dates on those containers. And and so having kind of on a rolling basis, the ability to have your appliance keep you aware of that as someone who's visually impaired. I mean, if, if I lived alone or, or, you know, want to be independent with that kind of information, I mean, it's extremely helpful. So again, another interesting example, and again, that was Max, 
who was kind of telling me about that with his, you know, do what you can't shirt on. <laughs> and, you know, again, he seemed to be realizing in the moment that it's something that could really benefit people who are blind or visually impaired and, uh, and you know, seemed enthused about that when I shared my excitement. I was going to say, I could have used something like that when I was a young bachelor living alone. Sometimes, you know, I'd collect groceries every week, but every once in a while, something would crawl to the back of the refrigerator and just remain hidden there from me because I didn't see it. And I'd have a friend come visit and say, what's this cream cheese doing back here? It shouldn't be purple on top, should it? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, curdled milk, the way you want to discover that is not by taste. No. Absolutely. You also posted something about the garment exhibit? Yeah, it was interesting because, I mean, to this day, you know, there's really an interesting need that kind of persists for just having a a simple smartwatch that uh, can give you that audible feedback and, and keep you aware of, you know, your performance data as you go. As it stands today, any of the devices that I've used personally, you know, I basically have remembered the sequences of buttons to press to start the activity and stop it. And so that by the time I get back and stop the activity, then I am able to upload the data to my large screen with my, you know, inverted colors and and be able to actually analyze the data once I'm done. But my ability to keep aware of those kind of performance numbers during the actual activity itself has been limited and has frankly made me reliant on my guides. Yeah, you'd like real-time feedback when you're involved in some of these uh, extreme sports. That's exactly right. So was Garmin addressing this problem with their devices? There was speculation, you know, within my circle, I guess, had heard of a new product coming out from Garmin uh, called the 645 Music. You know, it it was developed to allow the users to also have music, as I understand it, you know, provided by the device itself. And so with that, the thought that was kind of raised was, you know, if if it's giving audible output, you know, could we pair it with some of these running apps that exist and, and see if there's a way to kind of get it to provide that information audibly as part of its normal functioning. And so, you know, I went there prepared with that. And, you know, the gentleman who was there describing the uh, 645 music watch, you know, when I asked him if he knew whether there was a way for it to kind of give the running app feedback audibly as well, in addition to its music feature, he had no familiarity with it. And, you know, it it wasn't something that he seemed to have been asked before at all. So there's a lot of good news in terms of people using these new technologies to make these devices more accessible and more functional for the sighted community also. But, you know, as you say, it doesn't always happen across the board. And there are still some companies that need to learn about these tools and use them to make their devices more accessible, more pleasing to other users. And time will tell what happens. Absolutely. And I can't imagine a manufacturer being, you know, disappointed to learn that their product has more uses than even they realize. So, I mean, I think it's a worthwhile activity for us to kind of push the limits as a community of of these technologies. So on the other side of the coin, you were an exhibitor of a mainstream corporation and presumably had thousands and thousands of visitors coming through. Did you run into any circumstances where the visitors were surprised that a blind person could be representing IBM? 
I did. And, you know, I, I always handle a situation like that as an opportunity to, you know, to just share and to raise awareness and things like that. Like there were times where some visitors would come into the booth and I'm, as I mentioned, the first stop on the walking tour and they would walk right by me. So I would be standing there with my cane and they would pass by almost as though they didn't assume that the blind person was there to to be, you know, instrumental as part of the exhibit. So you don't take offense to that. I mean, when they are redirected and you have the opportunity to address the group, you know, that that just motivates me to to knock it out of the park and do my my most compelling presentation possible uh, just to demonstrate, you know, that people with disabilities are just people and they're they're doing the same things and they're capable of the same things that everyone else is. You know, sometimes it just takes the right technology or whatever it might be. Well, you know, those experiences aren't limited to people with disabilities. Maybe 40 years ago, I was staffing a booth at a trade show and I was a young woman, perfectly able-bodied, but a young woman. And, you know, I had visitors to the booth come up to me and actually say, well, I've got some questions, but you probably don't know anything about this. And I reacted exactly the same as you did. And by the time those people left the booth, they understood that, you know, their preconceptions of who might know what they're talking about were a little more limited than actual. Absolutely. It's a shared human experience, you know, having those kinds of encounters. And so, again, the ability and the opportunity to really kind of try and change those perceptions is wonderful. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about CES and about work on access technology at IBM, and also how to contact Eric Manser. So if people wanted to get a better feel for what CES is and find out what happened last year, what's coming in next year's CES, I assume they have a website where people can get some of that information? Yeah, absolutely. Consumer Electronics Show, again, very large technology showcase every year. And their website is www.ces.tech. And how about if people had questions for you? How could they contact you? Yeah, I can be reached at Twitter. I'm at uh, at Eric Manser. That's uh, Eric spelled a little differently. It's E-R-I-C-H-M-A-N-S-E-R. So at Eric Manser on Twitter. Also on Facebook. I can be reached at email at emanser at us.ibm.com. Or uh, if someone wanted to reach out on LinkedIn, that's also an uh, opportunity. And you talked about all of the accessibility work that IBM does, and we featured that in a previous show. And I thought you might give the URL for finding some of that information. Absolutely. If you go to www.ibm.com slash able. It's a nicely done profile of kind of the really cool and interesting projects that we're involved with. And as usual, we'll have all that contact information in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. And if you want to hear some other shows that we did with Eric, we'll have links to those in the show notes also. Those are episodes 1617, 1629, and 1739. That's it for show number 1807. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about tennis for the visually impaired. 
having limited vision is no longer an excuse for not getting out on the court and enjoying this sport with others. We'll speak with Brooke Severance, who runs a program through Court 16 in Brooklyn, which teaches people with visual impairments to play tennis with some very minor modifications to the rules and equipment. If you have any questions regarding something you've heard about on the show or you'd like to share an idea for a future show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net or call us at 585-210-8094. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. Browse the full archive of programs, find instructions for subscribing to the podcasts, and much more at www.eyesonsuccess.net. You can also find us on iTunes and follow us on Facebook at Eyes on Success or Twitter at underscore Eyes on Success. We hope you will join us again next week for more information and updates on products for accessible living. Thanks for listening to Eyes on Success and have a nice day.